Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each and every week, I speak to treasurers about how they built their careers, where they are now, and where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next. In this week's show, delighted we're joined by Julia Fordham, the Group Head of Treasury at Small World Financial Services. Now, Small World Financial Services are one of the world's leading payment services providers. Secure, fast, inexpensive way to send money around the world and, and everything else. Julia will explain a little bit more about that because she came in as the first head of treasury there. As I said just before the show, Julia and I have known each other for many years. She came up through Barclays and she's also a saxophonist. I think she's actually the first saxophonist unless our, our other guests can chip in and say, oh no, Mike, I did saxophone as well. But we'll talk about that again. But Julia... As always, enough from me. Let's crack on with you and find out about your background. So you originally, you uh, got your degree from Cambridge and then the rest of your career carried on from there. So over to you. Give us a, you know, you started at Cambridge and how did it go from there? Well, I think I think quite a lot of people were quite surprised when I ended up in finance. And I was probably one of them in the early days because I think I'd, I'd gone to university I'm an arts graduate. I studied classics and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had some vague idea about going into journalism. I'd had an internship in market research. I thought maybe I was going to go into marketing or advertising. You know, it was the time when advertising was a very cool thing to do. Then there was a kind of plan B, which I'd always had in mind that was maybe banking would be a good sort of generalist intro to industry and to a career that might lead in lots of different directions. So it it wasn't really intentional, but the, the big banks and the accounting firms were hiring quite a lot in those days. There they were. And you started at Barclays in their management programme. Was that the first role straight out of Cambridge? It was. In those days, a four-year programme where you spent a couple of years going around branches and, and learning about banking operations, how money moves, something which actually came in very useful in, in later life. And then I spent a year in their marketing, corporate marketing department and a year in the head office credit, large exposures and with that, you know, did a good all-round role, you know, as we said before the show, a lot of the people listening may be in similar positions, you know, they're sort of starting out their career, they might be working at sort of a high street bank, high street lender or something like that. And what did that give you that then, you know, springboarded you into your role at Morgan Stanley? How did how did that happen? I think it's very easy when in any job you can, there are always pros and cons and it's easy to see the downside and I remember my first couple of years in branches thinking, crikey, you know, this wasn't what I thought I was going to be doing. What's this all about kind of thing? But it's important to remember that you can learn something everywhere you work. And that knowledge about UK clearing systems and and how money is actually processed and, and where it is was just so valuable later during the financial crisis. But in fact, getting into Morgan Stanley was, it was a situation where my my last job as a manager in Barclays, I I actually covered the large investment banks. I was a relationship manager to the large investment banks. So it was a classic kind of lending banker, portfolio of products to sell and credit to lend. And Morgan Stanley at the time, if you can believe this, was was a kind of young, expanding, not very well known, actually, organization in Europe that had a small treasury team that was was looking for people to come along and, and, and help them help them expand, negotiate credit with, with bank providers. Wow. So it was the real early days and uh, Morgan Stanley before it was a, a global name, as it were. So so you went then went in, what sort of roles did you then sort of progress through sort of things? So you started in creditor relations and things like that, but how did your career evolve? Because, you know, sometimes I talk to people and they say, 
Well, I've been at this company for, you were there sort of 14 years, you know. And 14 so, years. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, wow, 14 years, you know, but it wasn't the same job. You made a move every three to four years sort of thing. Well, talk us through your progression there. Yeah, and it was quite interesting because when, when I was first approached about job at Morgan Stanley by somebody who was effectively my, my client and, and I was, you know, in awe of, I said, oh, no, no, you know, I mean, that's too much of the same. I'm, I'm not going to do that. You know, I, I was looking for not necessarily a way out of banking, but, but a way of achieving more breadth in my career. And I said, no, you're another bank. No, thanks. And to her credit, the person who sort of asked me that said, that's the wrong answer. I'll see you for interview this time next week kind of thing, because this is a, a treasury job. It's not law banking, it's treasury. And so that was my move into the treasury world. And that is precisely why I decided to look at that opportunity was because I saw treasury as a way of getting some breadth and variety and also giving me the opportunity to see different kinds of companies. So there you go, there was the treasury transition. And so when I went into Morgan Stanley into creditor relations, I actually started studying for my ACT exams not long after I joined because I thought, well, here is a profession that I can really kind of get my arms around and, and commit to. I think it offered me a lot. If I'm here, I'd like to see all aspects of, of treasury management and I'd like to get exposure to as many of those as I could. So yes, I kind of transitioned from bank relations through capital planning mm-hmm. And during the financial crisis, liquidity management, I did some more generalist treasury style projects while I was there. But the most interesting one of which was was helping to set up the, the Russian bank that Morgan Stanley was establishing at the time. And I ended up as a sort of chief ops officer for, for the department. It had been a department of 45 and it went down to uh, the sort of cash management arm split off. So it was roughly half that. Yeah. So clearly a very large treasury compared with most. And you were then managing through the crisis of 2008, as a lot of people will remember, some people won't. But what was that like? How did you, know, how did you guys manage there? Well, I once heard somebody who's in the army saying that, that they'd left the army because it was you constantly prepare for the worst, but you hope that the worst is never going to happen. Mm. And actually, in some ways, you know, being a treasurer is a bit like that. You know, you always at the back of your mind is what can go wrong? What can happen? What can happen? What can happen? You hope it's never going to. And pretty much it did. I think a lot of people will have memories of the financial crisis, but but bear in mind that that Morgan Stanley was a very close competitor of Lehman Brothers. Uh, we were kind of, the market had decided that we were next on the list. Yeah, it was, a, it was a very, very challenging time, which ultimately, you know, ended with capital injection by Mitsubishi. Mm. And what was it like for you in Treasury? You know, what were the things people are listening and they're thinking, right, I need to, you know, keep prepared for that another event like that were to happen. What were the things that you focused on as a Treasury professional? The relationship with the regulator was absolutely key. I mean, we went from probably a quarterly conversation to then it had become a monthly conversation, then it became a daily conversation. And at certain points, I think for about a month, it was three times a day. So that that's something that you obviously have to manage very carefully. Our relationships with our business units suddenly came into very sharp focus. The nature of those conversations changed, obviously. And, you know, the job that we had tried to do over the years of, of educating people in terms of this is what liquidity management is this is a stress scenario here's why it matters to you suddenly we were going to them and saying look you know this is this is what we meant and this is how we're going to have to deal with it so very very tactical hour by hour very important that we already had those relationships and also of course with our bankers Mm. and uh, i would say there were some a small handful of 
key relationships with banks, particularly in the UK, where without it, I think the story would, would be very different today. Mm. And, and mm. those relationships were built up over oh, years. Mm. And then... You'd survived that, come out the other side sort of thing, but a year or so later, you made then the move to Old Mutual. How did that come about and what was the progression there? Sort of perhaps explain for the, the people listening. I had I took the decision to leave Morgan Stanley in mid-09 mm-hmm. and I decided I wanted a bit of a break and I, I think you can probably understand that sort of post-financial mm-hmm. crisis. I kind of I stayed for, for another year and, and almost, I mean, it's a very negative thing to say it was never going to get that exciting again, <laughs> but... Um, you know, with a sort of double-edged sword there, but it, I, I sort of felt as though, I mean, you'd, we'd done it all, you know, <laughs> and it was it was time for a change. And I, I, I really wanted to experience a different sector. So, so I left, took time off over the summer, looked around, wasn't sure whether I might go into regulation or something similar, having had the financial crisis experience. But <laughs> the old mutual job came up. It really appealed because, although in financial services, old mutual was a very different kind of company, Mm. very much more a sort of financial conglomerate, different businesses. Uh, the job was in the holding company at the head office and I felt it had, it had the ability to influence a lot of what was going on around the group. And also they had a very clear idea of, of what they wanted to achieve in the sense that the Treasury was going through a big transition from more of a sort of old-style sort of small Treasury into mm. very defined front office, middle office, back office, a chance to shape policy, put in place a new Treasury management system and define the, the risk policy around that. And, that, and that, I thought that was really exciting. And with Old Mutual, just, just can you describe to the audience, again, I know it, you know it, but they don't know necessarily Old Mutual, also it's changed as well in recent years, because, you know, with your exit and things. Can you perhaps explain for those guys, again, what you say a conglomerate, what were they focused on? Well, Old Mutual is or was regulated as an insurance company, and that was always the background of the group to grown up as a, very much a sort of a South African insurer and huge name, even to this day in, in South Africa. I think at one point, say that maybe one in three or one in four people in South Africa had an Old Mutual policy. And it was a group that had been listed in London to raise capital and acquired a lot of other businesses in the States. And it acquired the, the Scandia name in, in the Nordics, which a lot of people will recognize. And of course, it had the Scandia office in um, the UK, in Southampton, yeah. uh, which had, had moved from insurance more into sort of unit-linked asset management. I think it was the first multi-platform ISA provider. So a lot of people know that name. And then over the years, kind of it developed along those lines, divested of some non-core businesses, but in the end felt that it could better add value for shareholders by breaking up the group and sort of going back to its roots in South Africa. Mm. The UK wealth management business is now independent and, and independently floated and is known as Quilter PLC. Mm. And so all those businesses still exist, but they exist in a very different form. And you yourself, and I know we've talked about this, you, you did. You went through the separation project and you sort of wound down, split out the businesses and things like that. And you've been there for, you know, 10 years nigh on. Maybe you can just explain for people, how did you go through that process? Cause I know you, I think you spoke about this as well, didn't you? Uh, one of those sessions. Yeah, so Jack, Jack Large and I did a, a podcast on that, which was mm. uh, really interesting to think through that in, in depth as well. And, and having been there at the beginning where we were, kind of setting things up and then and then dismantling it and i would say it emphasizes on not only me but the majority of the treasury team had been there since the beginning or or in very early stages and so it was quite an emotional process to go from from building something up to taking it apart and to helping the the new quilter plc team kind of stand as an independent entity when when we'd spent a lot of time trying to centralize their process through through head office 
And what were the key things um, that you know came out of that chat with with Jack? You know, and perhaps reflecting afterward, what were the highlights or you know maybe lowlights? You know, what was it like, or what were the key things to focus on? Would you tell people? Interesting, but you would think, I think, from the outset that that closing a department down was a relatively straightforward thing to do. Yeah. You would think that well, you get a list of all the things you do, and then you just stop them. Yeah. And the reality is that it's almost or maybe at least as complicated as setting something up, especially if you have a greenfield site to start with, because the intricacies of having centralized process or the problems that you can run up against if you didn't set things up properly in the first place. So thinking about whether all your contracts were in place to start with and properly documented, properly executed to allow you to terminate them in a straightforward way without extra costs, do you know where all the agreements are? Intercompany loans, for example, I mean, it, it, or Mutual had a fairly complex intercompany structure, which is the bane of a lot of treasurers' lives. But my goodness, you've got to make sure that, that you, you, you documented all of that properly. And, you know, do you know where the files are even, even the electronic ones <laughs> and paper ones, because, you know, they go back years. So I think I ended up concluding with Jack that when you set up a treasury department, you've you've got to have at the back of your mind the idea you might have to unwind it one day, mm. which sounds quite negative, but it wasn't meant to sound negative. No, you know, I think you're building it fit and making sure it's fit for purpose all the way through and, and keeping that maybe in the back of your mind that you might have to unwind it as well as wind it up sort of thing as in that way. And what we will do in the show notes for any of your listeners, we'll put the link to that conversation with Jack and with yourself so that, you know, they can actually firsthand if they're interested in that or going through a similar process. And so, as you say, you sort of wound that down or, you know, slowly exited that. What, what happened next? What, what did you, what did you do? Well, I had decided to take some time off after nine and a half years. And I think a lot of the Treasury team at Old Mutual did exactly that. It was a very emotional two-year process. And, it, you know, in the background of, of sort of people's ups and downs, I mean, obviously that, that sometimes helped project management, sometimes it didn't. But we, we all kind of felt that, that it was time to sort of take a break. So I took time off. I promised myself six months off and started looking for something new autumn last year and I've now been at Small World for just over five months. Mm -hmm. You and I know this because we've done some work together but tell us about Small World Group and you know what it's like and what you you've gone in there to do. Well I think you mentioned when we started that I'm the first person to be head of treasury Mm. at Small World. It's a company that has grown by acquisition Yes, also had some very strong organic growth and continues to do so. But because of the, the sort of nature of the, the dynamic of the payment services business is that economies of scale are important. So that there have been a, a number of major acquisitions over the years. And, and it was felt that with new owners, so they achieved new private equity backing late last year, it was the right time to centralize, bring together, streamline certain processes. So I came into a group that had some cash operations teams that were already functioning on a daily basis because obviously they, you know, money, money has to move on a daily basis, but hadn't really had the opportunity to think so clearly about centralized treasury policy or creating efficiencies. And with the role itself, what you know, so you've gone in, it's a fresh, as you say, it's a fresh new treasury as such. What was your checklist? Again, people listening, oh, yeah, I'm doing that. Or they're looking at new roles like that. What was top of your agenda? And what were the other things that cascaded down sort of thing? I, I sort of have two checklists, really. Mm-hmm. I, have the, I have the group level checklist and I have the operating level checklist. 
And it's fair to say that the operating level checklist has been rather more intense in the early weeks than I thought I I sort of was planning to start on looking at policy and have needed to get very involved in in some sort of day-to-day issues. We have a new head of treasury in New York, for example, and somebody else there covering with him. And that that sort of recruitment process was something I got involved with or needed to get involved with very quickly, very much at the operating level. But that said, it's given me a great insight into Again, you know, how does the money move? Where's the cash? If when you start to write policy, when I start to write it, where will I start? You know, where where should the focus be? So, what's your number one headline going to be, and and how will it suit the business, and not just come that over as a kind of top down thing? So, actually, that's that turned out to be the right way around. And you know, looking at the future, where where are you developing the business? Because again, perhaps just to describe as well for people, what small world do. Small World is a payment services provider and an international remittance provider. We are a direct competitor to the likes of Western Union and RIA. And I'm sure your audience will will heard of at least one of those names, although most people have not yet heard of Small World. And when they tell me that, I'm actually quite pleased because I think that means that the advertising is being targeted to the right place. (laughs) I'm, I'm guessing you probably don't send much money overseas. (laughs) <laughs> well, no, no, not on that basis, but, you know, I think it's a great service for people that need it. And that's one of the key things. And as you develop, you know, what is what are the development plans for the for the business as such? Certainly getting the brand out there. I mean, I think the, the organic growth that the group has achieved has been fantastic. And that's been really with a relatively low cost base and very little sort of advertising marketing spend and and it really is about getting volume through the existing channels Uh, the group will make acquisitions where it makes sense to do so there are certain sort of currency corridors that feel we've not developed as strongly as we could so i think that the potential for growth just in the existing channels is enormous and and it's a very exciting business to be part of and you know we said again at the beginning of the show and things like that treasury obviously has moved a number of different directions or throughout and the development of it. You know, what was Treasury like when you first started in it to now? And where do you see the future of Treasury coming through? And that's the, you know, everyone's talking Treasury technology. Everyone's talking straight through processing. But what are the key things that you're having to embrace as a Treasurer and your Treasury team and things? When I first started in Treasury, I think it was quite a proud time for the ACT because it was becoming much more widely recognised. And so, like a few years earlier, the the kind of the exams that people were recognised had been introduced. They were recognised as being very tough. The profession was getting a lot more publicity recognition as a result. I mean, so for example, it was common, and I did the ACIB, Chartered Institute of Bankers qualification. It was becoming more common for lending bankers, relationship managers, to actually take the ACT instead because it was recognised as being a tougher qualification and also one that helped them understand their customers better. Mm. And so it was a time of pride, I think, for the ACT was really establishing itself. And that has only continued with the recognition, I think, that, that Treasury is not just one job. It's sort of it's many different disciplines. Um, it's at least sort of four major disciplines and probably more than that now when you think about the sort of development and risk management over the years. But in terms of the future of Treasury, you will often hear, when I, when I hear people ask this question, and they immediately kind of dive into technology generally yeah, and, yeah. and you know, the artificial intelligence. And I agree with all of that. But to me, I still think the biggest challenge is getting the message out there about what Treasury really is. You know, it still amazes me that not just small companies, but even larger, well-established 
companies, you know, household names, some of them in, in Britain, just don't really have much of a treasury function. Mm. And that when you talk to people, even within financial services, you sort of talk about treasury and they go, well, well only banks do that. So, well, no, no, you know, it's, uh, mm. let, let me explain kind of thing. And I, maybe that is because of, of the, the, the breadth of what goes into a treasury job, but it may be not as well understood as it could be. And I think that's our mission, really, you know, keep, keep banging the drum because mm. there is still so much potential in a company that has not managed its treasury properly. Mm. whether they're sitting on loads of cash or, or they or they don't have enough, you know, in terms of working capital, it's, it's just think of the potential sitting in UK businesses from managing yeah. Treasury better. And what you can actually do. And that, well, that's also banging the drum and sort of shouting out about, you know, what Treasury is, is one of the reasons I do the podcast, really. You know, I've been talking to you Treasury guys for... 20 years and I thought actually why don't I just record the conversations so that people can actually gain a better understanding for it and on that as well that sort of brings in the people aspect if you like you've looked and you start to expand and things like that but when you are looking at people are you looking for that you're looking in the US so were you looking at CTP guys or were you looking at you know what sort of treasury things were you looking for from that resume you know what was the things that came out to you what were you looking for Depends very much on the level at which you're recruiting. That level, the the one that we were speaking about earlier, I mean, it clearly ex- experience of was very important. So experience of what I would call genuine treasury operations, as opposed to something that was sort of very much more specialised operational, a genuine treasury management. But I think as a, as a whole, and particularly at the more junior level, I I don't get particularly hung up on specific qualifications. I think what I'm looking for is a curiosity and an interest and and a willingness to either sit those qualifications, because I think they are important, or, or to understand at least what they're about. And so, for example, in Old Mutual over the years, we saw people taking, taking various modules of the ACT. Achieving it is one thing, but actually the process is, is what's important and, and about the, the attitude that makes you ask those questions. Excellent. As we approach the end of today's show, we talked about this as well, that with yourself, you've got this great background. So you've come up through you know, Barclays, Morgan Stanley, Old Mutual, and now you're heading up your own treasury team and, and leading it, uh, the development of it as well. What we'll do is we'll put your LinkedIn profile in the show notes so people can sort of connect to you if it's appropriate things. You know, What would you say, You know, if someone wants to replicate your background, what would you say is the key thing to do? What are the tips you would give to people? I think that most people looking to replicate my background would probably be more focused about it than I have been. <laughs> I still regard myself as a bit of, a, of an accidental entrant into the into the world of finance. And it was only over after several years that I realized that I actually found it fascinating. If you do have that focus and you do have that interest when you leave university or whatever, you know, for goodness sake, you know, capitalize on it because because you can you can gain years of in terms of time advancing your career like that. Aside from that, this is going to sound very corny, but just be yourself. I mean, I think if you are the kind of person that is able to to manage a team, you have strong views on how things should be done, you you can see what you believe is the right way of doing something just be couch you know and, and don't find yourself in a company culture where you can't do that and if you do it's, it's time to move on I think these days it's good that corporate culture I think recognizes what I would call genuine diversity more than it ever did so 
you don't have, it's not about saying the right thing or coming from the right business school anymore. I really hope. Uh, I think, I think that much is changing. Well, great final words, I think, there. I think, you know, embrace all that stuff. Yeah, as you say, just be yourself. And you, know, you said it was corny. I don't think it is. I think I think that the more successful or the most successful treasurers I, I talk to, it makes work that much more interesting as well because you can just literally express yourself and it might sound a, a little bit corny within treasury. Well, you know, how do you express yourself? Well, actually, a lot of people do, you know, which is fantastic. So. Well, also, I think that, that, I mean, one of your questions was about sort of have, have you made any mistakes? And I think mm. you know, everybody makes mistakes. You know, in Treasury, you should expect to make many mistakes, operational errors, spreadsheet errors, whatever it is. But un- unless you have a culture where people can speak up and even kind of almost celebrate those mistakes, then you don't have a risk management framework. What you have is people pretending to be superheroes, and that's not true. And then they will stop telling you what they really think or about the error that they made yesterday. Mm. Yeah, that openness of the culture is key as well. Wow. Thank you very much, Julia. Great chat as always. Yeah, again, we'll put your details in the show notes so that people can connect to you. Also, the connection to your, your discussion with Jack Love, should we put it in there as well? Just remains to me to say thank you very much for your time today. Well, thank you. 